Good morning. Today's reading comes from Galatians 1, 1 through 10, and you can follow along on page 6 of your bulletin. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, So now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. And I am trying, am I trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. The word of the Lord. Before we begin, I want to turn your attention to a little card that you should find in each of your bulletins, and that is a little summary for you of our church's vision and mission. Um, Each Sunday over the next four weeks, uh, you will get one of these cards, one side of which includes uh, a statement, a summary of our mission, uh, vision statement, And then on the other side, a little expansion of one of the key elements, one of the four key elements of our mission statement. And so today you have here on uh, the front side, uh, gospel community. Uh, We endeavor, among other things, to be, by God's grace, a gospel uh, community. I want to encourage you to please look at those cards, read it over, uh, consider who we are as a church and who we aspire to be uh, with God's help, especially if you are a member of the church, refresh yourselves. If you're new to the church, uh, please feel welcome to get to know who we are. Make use of those vision cards, and we'll have four of them, and so you can collect all four, as they say at McDonald's, uh, and put them up on your walls, uh, your cubicles at work, or uh, uh, in your Bibles, or on your refrigerators, and and they'll work together as a set, and so uh, we'll look forward to growing together as we get refreshed in our vision. Today, we're starting off a new preaching series on the book of Galatians, uh, one of the letters written by the Apostle Paul, and one of the best places to turn to unpack the meaning of what the Christian faith has called the gospel. What is that? And what difference should it make in our lives and in our community and even in our neighborhood as we seek to be good neighbors, as we discover and rediscover that Jesus has been a true neighbor to us? What is the gospel and what difference does it make? That's the next couple of months, actually, of study together. That's what we're going to be covering. Today is our first passage. Let's take a look together. But first, let's pray. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for being present. We're not alone. You are here. Thank you for being present in your word. Thank you for being alive and active in our lives and our community. Please come and speak to us. 
Speak to us in a way where we distinctly know it's your voice, through your words. God, please impact our hearts with your grace. Show us a true picture of who you are, a true picture of who we are. So please come, make this time profitable. Remove any resistances and barriers. Glorify your son, Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Not long ago, a conspicuous message popped up onto my phone. It announced to me, you have won a Google gift. And my eyes widened and my heart leapt with just a little bit of hope. Of course, that offer promised me a choice between a huge gift card of untold amounts of money or a new phone. And it said, all you have to do to claim this prize, this gift, was to fill out the following survey. It said, if you would just click on this link. And I didn't click on the link, but I'm pretty sure that it was going to ask me for my social security number and a photo of my fingerprints, among other things. I wonder, have you ever gotten one of these notices, these offers by email on your phone or maybe a phone call, maybe even recently? And of course, Almost without realizing it, I, I read this and, and, and wanted to believe that this was true. I even started to picture myself and, and Paula on a, on a beach somewhere on vacation. And oddly in this picture, nowhere to be found were my children. Uh, we were enjoying ourselves and uh, far away in flip-flops. And for a split second, I believed it or at least I wanted to believe it. Well, it was a scam, of course. But during those five seconds, ten seconds, of uh, inner turmoil almost, do I believe this or do I not? Is it the real thing? Is it not the real thing? I, I was reminded that sometimes in such situations there's a, a problem, a problem that sometimes it's really hard to tell the difference between the real thing and a fake. Uh, sometimes it's really hard to tell the difference between a real offer and a fraudulent one, a real promise and a fake promise. Because very often, all too often, they can look and sound the same. And sometimes a knockoff is no big deal. Right? You pick fake designer shoes, you eat fake cereal, not a big deal. Sometimes it doesn't matter. But what if we're talking about a chemotherapy drug? Does it matter then that it's fraudulent? Something that's a matter of life and death for you and you find out that you or maybe a loved one have been slipped in with an alternate drug, a false drug, one that doesn't actually work, and it might even look the same on the outside, might even have the same label, well, in that case, then we're in trouble, aren't we? It is a big deal because it's a matter of life and death. But what if it's a matter of spiritual life and death? What if it's the difference between finding out the truth about reality, why we're here, who God is, who we are, where we're heading, how we relate to him, and how then we should live? In other words, what if the, 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 the question about a thing being real or counterfeit 
is a matter of salvation. Doesn't it matter then whether or not we can tell the difference? This, friends, is why the letter of Galatians was written in the Bible. Because even for the Christian vision of life and salvation, sometimes, if you're not careful, sometimes it can be hard to tell the difference between a knockoff and the real thing. Because they can almost look and sound like the same thing. So here's a letter written by the Apostle Paul. We see his name mentioned in the very first verse of our reading. The letter was written around 48 or 50 AD, a long time ago, but only about 15 or so years after the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. Just a few years prior, the Apostle Paul had traveled to an area in modern-day Turkey, what they used to call Asia Minor, specifically a, a region called the province of Galatia. We read about it over the summer in the book of Acts, chapters 13 and 14, where we find the story about how local people there heard the message of God's grace from the Apostle Paul and Barnabas, too, as they told them about Jesus. These locals had never heard anything about Jesus before, never even had heard the name. But they received the message with great joy, and it changed their lives. And the message that Paul preached is described to us here and in other places in the Bible with a term, almost a technical term. It's described not as the philosophy of Jesus. It's described not as uh, the moral example of Jesus, but rather the message that Paul had brought to the Galatians that had so revolutionized their lives was called the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what changed their lives. That's what gave them a brand new beginning with God. That's what can give you a brand new beginning with God. Is that what you're here for? To seek and find. The gospel. We see this word used five times in our passage alone. We find it again and again all throughout this letter as a whole. The word gospel simply means good news. And as Paul begins his letter to the Galatians, he begins to unpack the meaning of this good news, why it's good news, how it changes our lives. First, he warns them about its counterfeit. And then second, he summarizes for them its true content, the counterfeit and its content. And that's what we're going to look for, look at for the remainder of our time. What do I mean by a counterfeit gospel? We're told that what happened, what Paul was addressing, was that in the Galatian church, influential teachers had showed up at the churches. As it says in verse 7, evidently some people are throwing you into confusion. They're trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. That is, after Paul had departed a few years prior, false teachers had arrived. They were trying to sell the young Galatian Christians a different story, a different way to get right with God and to keep right with God. Another way, and yet it wasn't just another way, the word translated pervert actually means to reverse. They were turning the gospel backwards, inside out, pointing in a completely different direction. 
The teachers were telling them that you need Jesus, perhaps, but on top of him, you also need to, well, perform well, do the right thing. Uh, Yeah, you need the gift of God and his grace, but you also need to be good. You need to perform some Jewish rituals and customs. You need to be circumcised. You need to eat like a Jewish person. You basically need to become Jewish in order to become Christian in your daily practices in life. You need to follow these ceremonial laws. And before you know it, they were offering up a long list of religious to-dos that Paul, by shorthand in this letter, calls the works of the law. They were saying, you get right with God, you stay right with God, yes, through Jesus, through faith in him, but Jesus plus a few more things. Jesus plus the good things that you do for God. Jesus plus the religious rules that you keep. See, they were saying Jesus is good, but Jesus is not enough. The grace of God is good, but grace is not enough. In other words, the Galatians were starting to hear an entirely different gospel that the Apostle Paul essentially calls false. And we're surrounded by false gospels too, even to this day, of course. Messages that we receive from the surrounding culture, and if we're not careful, false messages that you might even hear in the church as well. Things that we've internalized, personalized. Maybe you don't even realize that you've believed in them. Let me name a few, I think, that we've begun to believe. Uh, Here's one. You might call it the false gospel of success. Uh, That is, that you are actually inherently a more valuable person if you succeed at what you do. Or here's a religious version of it. If you do well in life, succeed, however you define that, God will actually bless you more and love you more. Perhaps it's why some of you came to D.C. in the first place, chasing this false gospel of success. We not only tell ourselves that it's worth pursuing it, we also tell ourselves it's actually in our power to accomplish it. You know the slogan, If you put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. In some ways, there's nothing nothing more American than that belief, than that attitude. But then on the other hand, we would do wise to listen to the prophet named Jim Carrey, comedian and actor, who of course has been very honest about his own struggles with depression, quietly. That even in the midst of success, it hasn't turned out to be all that he thought it would And so he's looking for more. He once was quoted saying this, I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. The false gospel of success. There's also the false gospel of sincerity. And that is that all that really matters in life is not what you actually do. It's just the sincerity of your good intentions, that you tried hard that you made an attempt. Not that you are a good person, but you kind of care to be a good person. I was talking about this idea with a friend of mine who was raised Hindu, but would probably identify, no, actually does identify himself as an agnostic. 
We were talking about basically what it is that drives him in life. What's sort of your mantra? What is it that you're really all about? And he said, well, I think God is real and I think God will accept me. Why? Well, because I really do my best to be a good person and to be kind to others. I, I do my best to be a good person and to be kind to others. I think that's a pretty good summary of this, this gospel of sincerity, right? And my response to him in that conversation, and it was a helpful one even for me, I learned a lot. But what I said to him honestly was, if God's acceptance of me is based upon whether or not I'm doing my best, not just what I'm doing, but I'm, I'm actually doing my best, my inner motives, my intentions, my sincerity of heart, then, then I'm really in trouble. See, because if I'm honest with myself, I don't know about you, but a lot of the time, I'm a hypocrite. A lot of the time, I want to look kind to you without actually having to do the hard work of actually being kind to you. See, I know there are a lot of instances during which I'm not actually doing my best at all. And if that's the basis of how God's going to judge me, then I'm in trouble. The false gospel of sincerity is trouble. I think there's also what you might call the false gospel of social activism. And I want to be careful here because even here in the book of Galatians, we're taught that the grace of God makes us radically committed to our neighbor's good. The gospel does produce a certain kind of social activism. But what I'm talking about is when your whole life's mantra or your whole life's business is all about something like this. You know the saying. Be the change you want to see. Now, that's not a totally false statement. I know it's normally intended to motivate people to actually make a difference. I get that. That's good. But notice what that tends to stir up in our hearts is responsibility for things that are far beyond your personal control or even responsibility. Do you feel, maybe you do, the crushing weight that it's all on you, all of the world's ills, all of the world's brokennesses? Pretty soon the message becomes, if you abide by this gospel of social activism, it's hard for it not to feel like you're nobody unless you're aligned with the right causes. Uh, you're, you're, you're not actually doing what you're supposed to be doing unless you have laid it all down, and not just for one cause, but for all of them, and simultaneously. You getting tired? Some of you are. Of course, there's also, lastly, the false gospel of prosperity. This idea that God will only love you, or you're only worth something if you're doing the right things, and if you're doing the right things, then God will bless you with a bigger house or a new Bentley. Now, that's sort of the crass version of this false gospel, because I think a lot of people that grow up in places that you might have grown up in might not exactly put it that way, that, that I'm really banking on God giving me a Bentley. Maybe it's not quite that crass, but maybe it sounds more like this. I actually believe that I'm owed a life of comfort. I, I, I actually believe that God really should make me happy all the time. 
And do you know how I know that's what I secretly believe? Because I'm really bugged when he doesn't. Maybe that's why some of you are mad this morning. Mad at God. Life introduces you trouble. We shake our fist at God and we say, how dare you? Because we've come to believe that God only wants you to be happy all the time. God never wants you to be uncomfortable, even when it's for your good. And so we come to believe that you're only loved by God if what you're doing or what's going on in your life is big or impressive or worth posting on Instagram. Because we've come to believe in the false gospel of prosperity. And you can hear it in each, of one of the, each and every one of these things that at the end of the day, the pressure falls upon you. This is precisely what makes it false. Your happiness, your success, your blessedness is up to you. You are the source. You must achieve your own freedom. You must accomplish your own salvation. Paul says we're turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. In verse 6, he says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Earlier, I mentioned the idea of false gospels being like fake cancer drugs. That actually happened, of course. In one case overseas, a counterfeiter collected empty vials of medicine in hospital trash bins and refilled them with water and other random chemicals, sold them for money. In another case, a pharmacist sold fake chemotherapy medicine for tens of millions of dollars, sold more than 62,000 doses of cancer drugs that had no active ingredients in them whatsoever to 1,000 cancer patients over four years. Vile, despicable. And if you're getting a little bit mad at these perpetrators, you might have noticed actually the urgency, frustration, even a little bit of the anger of Paul's tone here. He says in verse 9, as we have already said, so I now say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Strong words, but notice Paul isn't speaking out of a personal vendetta. He's not just being nasty, he's being loving. He's caring for those that desperately need medicine. He knows that this is a matter of spiritual life and spiritual death, you see, because he's just seen a false doctor bring in a false canister of chemo drugs. And he doesn't want you to die. See, this letter is a letter of Love, even if it's frustrated, love, love that ignites his passion, love that ignites his urgency. Because he wants the Galatians and wants you and me to know the true gospel. And what is it? What is that? So secondly, let's look at that, the true content of the gospel. We get a little summary of this in verses 3 and 4 of this passage. Three things we see about the nature of the gospel that Paul preached. Number one, we learn that the gospel is news. The gospel is news. As I mentioned earlier, the word literally can be translated good 
news. In the Greek language, it was actually a word that was used in a military context when soldiers came home from a great victory, announcing that the enemy has been defeated. It's a word that was also used when ancient kings rose to their thrones. It's a new administration, a new day, good news. It was an announcement of something that happened and therefore changes everything. See, gospel is news about things that have already been accomplished. It's not moral instruction. It's not advice. It's not a list of to-dos. You see, too many of us think that the heart of the Christian faith are obligations morally of what Christians are called to do. And certainly there are obligations and responsibilities, but that's not the heart of the Christian faith. At the heart of it is news of what Jesus has done for you. You notice here in the first five verses, Jesus is doing everything. God is the primary actor. There's not a whole lot of, now this is what you need to do. This is how you please God. This is how you earn the love of God. He is the chief actor. Jesus' name is in the headlines. His face is on the front page. And so you see there's a difference between gospel good news and just moral teaching and instruction. But most people can't tell the difference. Can you? Can you hear the difference? Can you feel the difference? News is a report about something that's already happened. Instruction is something that I have to make happen. In other words, salvation in the Christian vision is something that Jesus already has made happen, not that something that you have to make happen and therefore Jesus, God accepts you on that basis. Gospel is news. And if that's true, then that means the heart of the Christian faith is this. You get right with God and you stay right with God, not by what you do, but by what Jesus has done for you in dying and rising in your place. And that makes all the difference in the world. It changes our lives. It changes our relationships. It makes us into what we call a gospel community. And that's what this little insert is all about in explaining what we envision as a church that's trying to be a community changed by this gospel. Take a look. And let's live it together. The gospel is news. Secondly, the gospel is grace. And this is related to what I just mentioned here. The gospel is grace rather than wages. Wages are what you earn for working well. Grace is what you get as a gift. In fact, grace actually is a word that means literally gift. And we see that word there in verse 3, grace and peace. Notice Paul also says that the whole story of the gospel is that Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins, a reference to his atoning sacrifice. He died for all of our sins. But he gave and he gave and he gave rather than sitting there and demanding that you give and you give and you give. Do you see the difference? Even in verse 4, we're told that Jesus gave himself for our sins according to the will of God, our Father. It was according to God's will, his purposes, his plan, his initiative. God took the first step. He wasn't waiting around 
for you to make the first move, waiting for you to come halfway and then he'll meet you in the middle. That's the way that a lot of us think that God acts and operates. You know, God helps those who help themselves. You can't find that in the Bible anywhere. God is a God of grace. He doesn't meet you halfway. He meets you all the way, face to face, giving sinners like you and me a deep, eternal embrace. God saves. God loves. God shows favor not because we are searching and earning and deserving and achieving, but because Jesus is searching and earning and deserving and achieving. And dear friends, when we start to get that, don't you see that's good news? To know that your life before your God, your eternity, your personal fulfillment, your sense of meaning and even glory and significance is not dependent upon how you perform day in and day out and not ever. Not if you grab a hold of Jesus by faith and say, Jesus stands in my place before God. Jesus is my source of significance. Jesus is my atoning sacrifice before God. The gospel is grace, not moral instruction. Thirdly and lastly, we see that the gospel is a rescue. We see this in verse 4. The Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. That word rescue is a word that's also used elsewhere in the New Testament to talk about the rescue of the Israelites in the Old Testament from slavery in Egypt. We're being freed from slavery to our sin. It's a word that was also used of the rescue of Peter from prison in the book of Acts. Jesus offers a a rescue from the imprisonment of our own self-centeredness. It's a word that's used of the Apostle Paul when a mob set out to lynch him. Also in the book of Acts, what Jesus did for us is a rescue from a lynching of the power of sin the way in which we're mauled and mobbed by evil. See, the gospel isn't just sort of like spiritual vitamins, Uh, you know, supplements that you just give yourself for a little bit more of a nutritious life along the way, but where it's still basically up to you to huff and puff up the hill. Vitamins, but no, it's still on you. Not spiritual vitamins. The story of the Christian vision of life is that all of us are a sinking ship. That all of us are on a sinking ship. That all of us are enslaved to our own selfishness. That all of us are addicted to ourselves and we can't save ourselves. Hard though we may try, we need a rescuer. Someone from outside of us to reach down and grab a hold of us in his love. We need not just a little bit of help, a little bit of remediation, a little bit of spirituality to add to our lives. We need a rescue. And not only personally, but you see this cosmic language that Jesus rescued us from the present evil age. Jesus is rescuing the whole world along with you. That's why the Bible promises that Jesus is making all things new, every part of life. Even now, the images are pouring in from the Bahamas. 
terribly devastated by Hurricane Dorian. You see these stories and hear now about different instances of helicopters that have come in, different individuals that, as always, by God's grace, people sacrificing themselves, giving themselves to save people that are utterly helpless, stuck in their attics, places where they're in danger. And we can see in each of these situations, in the face of such a devastating hurricane, what was really needed in that moment was an immediate rescue for someone to come in and save and help. What the Bahamians didn't need is for someone to come in and then to hand them a little instruction manual on how to build a boat. And yet that's how a lot of our spiritualities operate, and even bad forms of Christianity. You need a rescue, but you're given an advice manual. In the same way, we see God coming in and saying, look, I'm not waiting around for you to figure it out. I'm not going to stand back and watch you try to save yourself. I'm going to go right in there. I'm going to go right in there, giving myself, giving my son, even at the cost of his own life, being flooded by God's judgment, as it were, drowned by the penalty of our sins, not his, but ours, that were afflicted upon him. Jesus, who in his love paid the price that we should have paid. Jesus, who loved us so. Except, of course, in the analogy, there's one important difference, that before God, we're not innocent victims. We deserve the judgment of God for all of our sin and selfishness, and yet God says, in my love and compassion, I'll take that judgment in your place, that you deserve in the justice of God. This is the love of God. Do you know it? This is the rescue of God. Have you received it? Or are you pushing him away, standing on the flooded rooftop of your own house, as it were, saying, don't worry about me, I've got it all together. As John Stott once put it, Christianity is, in fact, a rescue religion. But this is so hard, isn't it? Because every one of us is inclined normally to sit here and just try to rescue ourselves. Rescue ourselves from our guilt, by trying to atone from our wrongs, by doing better things, making up for the things that we've done, or maybe rescuing ourselves from the feeling of insignificance, which might be why you're trying so hard in your local community, or maybe trying so hard at work to prove yourself, to justify yourself. Or maybe you're rescuing yourself from loneliness and it's why you've surrounded yourself by, with so many unhealthy relationships. Maybe it's why you can't get out of that one that you know is killing you, but you know you're trying to rescue yourself and rescue and rescue and pretty soon you realize the thing that you're really turning to to rescue you is simply you. Where you might even be a professing Christian and you might say, Jesus is my salvation. But when it really boils down to it, it's that other thing. Jesus plus what? What are you turning to to give you joy? What are you turning to really to give you meaning and significance? What is it? Jesus plus what? That thing that really at the end of the day becomes your functional savior. The thing that is giving you life your true rescuer, 
perhaps. But listen, the gift of God is grace. Are you starting to come to terms with the fact that you really do need a rescue? The grace of God, the gift of God in Jesus can become good news to you because the gospel rushes forward to people that know they really need a rescue. The people that stand on the rooftops of their own souls and say, I can't save myself. People that have nothing else to bring to God but their broken and weak selves. Are you weak? Don't you know that qualifies you for the wondrous and lavish grace of God? Where you can begin to unpack your lives from being stuck in, in, in living according to this gospel of Jesus plus something else. This false gospel where my performance, my achievements, my consistency, my ever-shrinking to-do list, my religiosity is what really makes me acceptable to God in Christ. And this is what Paul is getting at. If you do that, you no longer have any gospel at all. It's not good news because now it's all on you. And so here he gives them in the start of this letter, Right from the start, the key to salvation, the key to true joy, the key to true freedom, the key to true transformation. What is it that you need for all these things? Here it is, Jesus plus nothing. The gospel is this, Jesus, his death, his life, his love, his grace, his gift, plus nothing. Because by his own love and by God's own will, God through Jesus has done everything that's needed to make you right with God and to keep you right with God. All through Jesus. Everything. And we stutter and we stammer. Wait, wait, wait. So Jesus... Plus my promises to do better right next time, right? No. No, no. Jesus plus nothing. Well, Jesus plus my good deeds, right? Surely I need to make a difference in this world in order to be worth someone, right? No, no. Jesus plus nothing. Well, surely it's, it's only if I'm popular though, right? I mean, I can, sure, I'll worship Jesus on the weekends, but when I go to work or do life in the neighborhood, surely I need to be recognized as being a somebody. Otherwise, I'm nobody, right? Isn't that what I need? No, no, Jesus plus nothing. The gospel is Jesus plus nothing. And that, Embracing that, believing that, living in line with that makes the love of God and the grace of God and the rescue of God everything. Is it everything to you? The gospel is Jesus plus nothing, and that makes Jesus everything. Let's pray. That's what we want you to be to us, Jesus, whether if we're hearing this for the first time or maybe hearing it anew, fresh in our hearts for the first time, or maybe for the millionth time, but we all need our hearts to be punctured with your love, broken into, arrested by your grace. Jesus, we want you to be everything to us. 
And so we pray that today and even as we study this book of Galatians all throughout the next couple of months, that you would change our lives, open our eyes to see your grace, help us to see Jesus. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Let's all stand together and let's sing. Yeah. Hey.